Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibu First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler. We're broadcasting live from traditional Mi'kmaq terri- territory in Elmastuquick, the Bay of Islands, at 6 p.m. November 16, 2017. And we're with an audience at Grenfell Campus in Cornerbrook. We're celebrating one year of Mi'kmaq Matters, and they arrive at 0.1 FM of our partner Bay of Islands Radio. Greetings to those of you joining us on the Voice of Bombay and North Point and Rocky Harbor and around the world on BOIR.ca. Welcome to Mi'kmaq Manor's episode 40. The land we're on today was among the last parts of the east coast of the continent to be settled by Europeans. Before that, the first peoples lived as they always did, hunted caribou, caught eels, stayed warm in winter, moved from the interior to the east to the coast in the spring. There was a rhythm in their lives. It was right here that traditional indigenous life in what is now Atlantic Canada lasted the longest. How ironic, tragic even, that we ancestors of those first peoples would be here today trying to recover Mi'kmaq identities taken away from us by colonization, confederation, Joey Smallwood, racism. That's not a complete list. Today we celebrate how far we've come, ask where we're going, and perhaps see if there's a Mi'kmaq trail to get there. The Halibu First Nation is one of the largest in Canada, but we have more people of Mi'kmaq ancestry outside the band than in. We have a cultural awakening happening. The Flat Bay powwow this past summer was the largest and most successful ever. But as much as many of us yearn to embrace our Mi'kmaq culture, we hold back, feeling awkward and self-conscious about taking those first steps. How do we craft our individual and collective Mi'kmaq identity, heal divisions, fire up our political power, and build our Mi'kmaq nation? That's our conversation for the next hour or so. You can message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters, and we'll have a Q&A later in the program. You can also see the video of this program via Facebook Live and on Rogers Community TV at a date in the future, which we'll let you know about. So let me introduce our panel. On my far right, Frank Skeard, Alibo Councillor for Glenwood, Welcome, Frank. Uh, next to Frank, we have Suzanne Barry, who is the former president of NON, the Newfoundland Aboriginal Women's, Women's Network. And next to me is Charles Pender, former mayor of Cornerbrook. And some of you may not know that Charles was the first chair of the Halibu Cultural Foundation at um, at a point in the future, but Charles, you weren't there this past summer for the Grossmorn uh, Cultural Festival controversy. Are you jealous or relieved that uh, you weren't there? I'm, I'm good as I am. Yes. Okay, so um, Frank, let me start with you. You were the Halibut Councillor for Glenwood, but you, you grew up in, uh, in Mount Moriah down the bay here. And uh, you, I suppose, still have some family down in, uh, in Mount Moriah? Yeah, I have uh, my mom and my brother still lives in actually Cornerbrook. Now, Mount Moriah, if you look across the bay from Mount Moriah, what, 
what's across there? Is it Gillum's uh, circling across? Well, well, Gillum's is across from, say, halfway point. So that would be, I never really thought of that. It would probably be uh, Meadows, maybe, mm -hmm. I would say. Now, back in the day, uh, I suppose, um, <laughs> before your time and our time, I suppose there was quite a lot of uh, back and forth, do you think, between Mount Moriah and the other side of the the other side of the bay, people would... Absolutely, straight across. Yes, people would get into the boat, uh, go romancing uh, on the other side of the bay, but... Uh, well, what seemed to happen is one, you know, it's not a lot different than it is today. A family member moved across and someone else needed a job or had a job and needed a place to stay, so that's where he went, so yes. that's how it went. My, uh, my aunt came to uh, Mount Moriah and then my mom did and mom got married and that's how it goes. I suppose uh, at that uh, at that time there was probably more relationship between the communities in the Bay of Isles than there is today because with the road, uh, Cornerbrook became the focus. It sucked up the attention, and those communities like York Harbor, uh, Gillums became bedroom communities, and uh, we something something changed there. Well, I, I guess leave it to me to disagree with you this early in the conversation, but uh, yes, Cornerbrook is kind of the epicenter there now because you kind of drive through it, but uh, I think that if you're talking to someone from Cox's Cove to York Harbor, they are kindred spirits, let's put it that way. Yes. Uh, Suzanne, welcome. Thank you. Uh, you've been back in St. George's for some years after. How long have you been back since you're... Uh, since uh, August of 2014. And before then, you were in New Brunswick in Fredericton. That's right. And um, you're a social worker, and you ran a mobile crisis center. What is what is a mobile crisis center? It's a mobile crisis unit, and uh, we worked uh, with RCMP and city police. Uh, we were actually a uh, a mobile mental health. Um, unit. So we would go out to crises, uh, we would be called out if there were any uh, mental health calls that came into police, but also we worked with people um, that came to us, that called us. When, uh, when you worked in New Brunswick, you, I understand, worked with Mi'kmaq people, Maliseet people in New Brunswick? Yes, that's right. And and what was that? What was that like? Did they ask? Um, did they accept you uh, as as a Mi'kmaq person? Did they were they skeptical that you were one of those Mi'kmaq people from Newfoundland? Um, I ran into that um, mostly in the area where I worked was uh, Maliseet. Uh, there were several First Nations and. Um, it took, of course, as it always does, it took a while for me to gain trust, but uh, when I worked in the uh, mental health offices before I started with the mobile crisis unit, I was always the one that was called to go uh, in and, uh, and maybe um, might be a crisis on reserve or I, I might be called in to talk to someone. But it was usually me um, as a Mi'kmaq person. Charles, um, you uh, were mayor of Cornerbrook for two terms, and you were on council for, was it uh, three terms? On uh, two terms. Two terms yeah. on council. And do you think, uh, of course, Cornerbrook is not that old as an amalgamated city. Do you think you were the first Mi'kmaq mayor of uh, Cornerbrook? Probably the first who knew he was Mi'kmaq. Uh -huh. there, there may have been others before me mm -hmm. that uh, probably didn't realize their ancestry. Yes. Now, I wanted to, uh, to speak to you about uh, about Cornerbrook as a as a Mi'kmaq, as a as an indigenous city, uh, population of Cornerbrook now is just under twenty thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a high concentration of Halibut members here, and of course people who are are otherwise Mi'kmaq. 
Um, perhaps uh, maybe Frank can tell us, uh, maybe there are 5,000 uh, Halibut people who live in, in Cornerbrook, and maybe that's a conservative estimate. So something like 25% of the population of Cornerbrook will be, would be probably um, Halibut members. Uh, it's interesting that if you look at Winnipeg, Winnipeg is considered to be, uh, if you look at the news accounts, is considered the most indigenous city in Canada with 10% uh, Aboriginal population. Um, yet here we are in Cornerbrook with 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Brian Bauman became the Métis mayor of Winnipeg, that was a big deal. Uh, in Cornerbrook, um, not so much. Right now we have uh, we think maybe three of the seven council members are are uh, are Mi'kmaq. Uh, what was it like for you being the Mi'kmaq mayor, a Mi'kmaq person who was mayor of Cornerbrook? Uh, good question. I mean, I really didn't see myself as any different than anyone else. Uh, when you're mayor, you represent everyone, all constituencies. So you don't stand up and say, I'm this or I'm that. You, you try to, in your relationship with the community, represent all, all different groups and so on. But it, you know, it was something that I acknowledged and we acknowledged it publicly. And I, I guess we were the first council ever be uh, sworn in. We were smudged before we swore, were sworn in. And that's the first time that ever happened. And you know, to, to acknowledge and to uh, make mention as, as we could uh, without uh, getting any pushback, because that happens, uh, that we are a Mi'kmaq community but I don't think the larger community sees it as a Mi'kmaq community. And uh, maybe that's because the Halapu is recent. It's very new. It's, uh, you know, it's not something that we've lived with for the last hundred years or so. And uh, it's something that you know, will grow over time as more and more people become culturally aware of the Mi'kmaq and the Halapu and, and who they are and what their role is in, in nation building. So do you think, um, so there isn't uh, and Cornerbrook doesn't yet have a, a Mi'kmaq identity as a as a city, uh, would you say? No, I wouldn't say. And, and you know, there's there's all the controversy, of course, with the enrollment and so on, which is, is you know, divided people and taken away a lot of people's, um, you know, interest or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, as a, somebody who was in council, uh, I was chair of the Cultural uh, Foundation before I was elected mayor, actually, and uh, continued on in that for a couple of years. And there was, I won't say a resistance, but uh, there wasn't quite uh, what I would call an openness to accept this community as, as a Mi'kmaq community. There was, there's, there's something there yet that is not, um, uh, let's say, welcoming and arms open and saying, this is who we are. You're, you're talking about residents or your fellow council members? Uh, probably both, right? Because uh, my interaction as mayor uh, with the Halapu was generally through the band, uh, through members of the council or the staff or different acknowledging different days and things like that. Uh, we had one council member, Keith, who was, you know, uh, very adamant about, uh, you know, speaking to, uh, to about the Halapu and so on every occasion. Keith Cormier. Keith Cormier. And, and he actually got pushback from other councillors for that. So, you know, it's, uh, again, I think it's one of these things that it's, uh, it's going to take time. Uh, and as the Halapu becomes more integrated into community, as the enrollment issues get resolved, as economic development occurs, things that people see the value of the Halapu Nation and the, and the Mi'kmaq here in, in this, not just Cornerbrook, but the West Coast and Central, uh, then I think you know, people will become uh, more open and embrace it more. I would have thought that, uh, Frank, I, I can see you uh, wanting to dive in here. 
Well, well, I guess uh, first and foremost, I would never want to challenge uh, Charles on his knowledge of the Cornerbrook dynamic. I, I'm born and raised here with Soyu, but you've been involved in many, many com community activities for mayor and all this type of stuff. But, uh, but I guess the way I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it is that, like, you know, uh, born and raised down the bay. Uh, grandmother lived all of her days in Gillum's, you know, these types of things. And, and yes, many, many years ago, the being uh, like a, an in indigenous person was, let's be blunt, there were some issues uh, recognizing it. But as every day goes by, and especially as Halibu becomes a more comfortable topic, let's say, uh, that's kind of allowing a much more open dialogue. And what I'm seeing is whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your social settings or whatever, uh, you know, recognizing uh, the, 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 just the simple fact, not good, not bad, just that it is, okay? And I think that that's kind of the place where we need to get. It's not a matter of benefits or a matter of culture or whatever. It just, it is, okay? And, and I'd like to say from a numbers point of view, you know, I, I, without getting into, uh, say, uh, the, the detailed numbers because actually, you know, in my mind, I, I only know rough numbers, but you know, Cornerbrook is closer to closer to ten than closer to five. Okay, uh, but I think the key thing that everybody needs to keep in mind that there are many, many incorporated communities without even going into the to the local service districts that uh, I would say that we're going to be towards 50, 60, 70 percent of the population are members of Halibut, and we're not even talking about people that now self-identify. Hmm. So, you, you, you know, like many of the communities, Bay St. George, uh, you know, so what I guess I'm looking at is in those sense that uh, is that, uh, well, basically that's a good thing that people are recognizing, uh, recognizing that. So, But Charles, if I go back to you for a second, I would have thought that Cornerbrook uh, as a city would have, if nothing else, recognized the the economic angle. Let's face it, Cornerbrook is facing some challenges. There's a population decrease economically there there are challenges and uh, the 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 Alibu phenomenon is one of the best things to happen in Cornerbrook since Grenfell campus uh, came here so uh, I one might ask whether Cornerbrook is slow to embrace what could be a very good thing and one of the the best things that Cornerbrook has going for it right now yeah I mean it's like anything else when it's 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 new it takes time for people to get their heads around it i mean the city is focused on delivering services to its residents that's what it does it provides water snow potholes those and pavement. types of things potholes pavements garbage collection those types of things and uh, i guess you know um, when we first even sat down with the, the halibut i mean i think frank's right you know i think half the population in cornerbrook is pretty well you know a member of halibut or mi'kmaq or probably more so you know there's there's an awful lot of people out there and there's a lot of mi'kmaq businesses in cornerbrook Mi'kmaq owners, Mi'kmaq uh, who are putting, you know, dollars into the community and who are developing their businesses as Mi'kmaq enterprises. So th there's a lot of that out there in economic development, but it, it seems to be fairly, uh, I won't probably under the radar a little bit, that people don't realize or acknowledge or, or know that uh, this activity is going on. I mean, if you look at the money that's being spent uh, for health care, for education, uh, you know, that uh, enable uh, members of the Halapu to uh, go to, whether it's university or a trade school or whatever, there's millions of dollars coming into this community, and, and there doesn't seem to be uh, a very great awareness of it out there for some reason, and, and I don't know what that is. Mm. And the other side of that is there's a huge opportunity to develop this community economically uh, with the Halapu as a partner. 
So if you could, if you could look ahead in, uh, in the time machine and take us five, seven, ten years from now, what if, if Cornerbrook did embrace its Aboriginal identity, what would Cornerbrook look like if it fulfilled the promise of, uh, of being an Indigenous city with, according to Frank, is, is uh, half uh, Aboriginal? Well, the sky's the limit. I mean, if you look at any other uh, community across Canada where you have an indigenous population, there's all kinds of opportunity from culture, from uh, tourism point of view, from economic point of view. If you look at the potential here to develop an urban reserve, for instance, or a business park, uh, whatever, you know, that, that should take, whatever form, uh, there's huge opportunities here to develop the uh, economy here. And, you know, it's, it's having that conversation not only with council, but with the business people, with the broader community, and, and that's been ongoing over the last uh, year or so, uh, but it's it's something that's, again, relatively new. But you know, in uh, five, seven, ten years, you could and should have a community with uh, a fairly large indigenous population involved in the economic activity of this community, whether it's a cultural activity, a tourism activity, or developing businesses that are going to generate wealth, not only for the Mi'kmaq and the Halapu, but for everyone in this community and everyone on the West Coast. Mm. Suzanne, let me, let me turn to you. You you left St. George's and you came back. And uh, tell us about the what St. George's was like when you left, and what it was like when it came back when you came back to St. George's. Uh, well, when I left, um, there was there were some murmurings about you know you should join uh, the Flat Bay Band with Violet Dawson, or you should join. Uh, Bert Alexander's band because somewhere up the road the federal government was going to give some benefits to and just uh, remind to us what, what year you're talking about there uh, that would be probably 1999 maybe mm-hmm. um, and so I, I left at that time um, and I moved to New Brunswick and when I came back so now at that time when I left it was still not popular to be an Indian um, and, uh, and it, it would upset people if you said so. However, some people were figuring out that there were some benefits to it. Um, I never saw any culture whatsoever in the, or any ceremonies or traditions as you would think a, a Mi'kmaq community would be. Um, when I came back, I was absolutely shocked because there was uh, regular drumming, uh, weekly drumming in two communities, um, there were uh, elders. Um, there were ceremonies. Um, it was it was people embracing their culture. Um, it was wonderful to see. Unfortunately, um, as as happens in most new um, when you're reviving a culture, there are different pods of people, and um, instead of working together, it kind of seemed like they were working against each other, or certainly not willing to to work as a team. Um, so that was a little disappointing, but um, but in terms of the cultural revival, it was amazing. Mm. And what what is it that gets in the way of people working together? That have a different vision of what being Mi'kmaq was about, or what 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 was that about? Absolutely, like you had, um, and you still have uh, some people who who say, you know, this is a unique culture. It's in Newfoundland, and and we're going to practice the way we always have and uh, and then you have others who follow the the Mi'kmaq teachings from the mainland um, also there's a, a, a huge divisive, divisiveness between um, 
because of this enrollment process, um, it's caused people um, to to feel shut out of their um, culture. As a matter of fact, I had someone, several, not just one, a couple of people say to me, um, I'd say, are you going drumming tonight? Well, no. No, I received my letter, and it says I'm not a Mi'kmaq. Um, so mm. that that um, we know, of course, that that's not the case. I mean, you're Mi'kmaq, no matter if you belong to Halibu or, or not. Um, but that divis- divisiveness has caused such an issue with so many people. Mm. Mm. Now, I want to change the topic a little bit and ask you about something that we've discussed in the past, uh, and that is the... Um, the opioid uh, crisis that uh, affects us the way it, it affects many parts of, uh, of North America. Um, crisis is a word that, uh, that uh, health professionals are using. Uh, you're a social worker. Um, what, what is your observation of, uh, of the phenomenon in the Bay St. George area? There is some anecdotal evidence that the crisis is affecting that region um, perhaps even more severely than than other areas, just based on things like the number of needles being sent to the Bay St. George area by the needle exchange project in Cornerbrook, for example, and the the stats and the change in the stats. What do you think there is? Uh, what what do you think is the underlying um, problem that that people are gravitating to drugs to to deal with? Well, I think in so many communities, it's it's no different. It's a, a history of alcoholism. There's a history of child abuse. There's a history of people not embracing their culture, not finding their culture, and not growing up with it. Um, there were many people too, many families, and mine was one that uh, that denied any any connection with a, an indigenous culture. So. Um, you know, you see a lot of that in, in uh, places where there's a lot of drug abuse and alcoholism. Um, there's not, a, um, there's not a, a way of working with people in terms of their, um, their particular culture. There's, no, there's nothing that offers a traditional way of working with people to overcome addictions. Unfortunately, I thought by now Halibu would have would have uh, created a uh, an addiction center or a, a healing center, something that would have addressed this issue. I mean, we're kind of skirting all around, um, dealing with other things that are not important when we're losing our people. Hmm. So, and what uh, what in what instances do you think that culture can be a response to? Uh, to an addiction issue, um, I mean, it's I guess it's easy to throw that out as the as the band aid to respond to all situations. But what do you think the ingredients are in a success, successful cultural approach to um, to addictions? Well, as I said to you uh, when we spoke about this before, I I believe that the Western therapeutic model is um, is certainly a help. But when you're an indigenous person with your own cultures and traditions, you have to bring that into play to heal uh, totally. So um, right now what we're doing is we're kind of, uh, like you said, I think, putting Band-Aids on it. Um, when you have your culture with its ceremonies, with its uh, cohesiveness, because that's what you see in Mi'kmaq communities, um, then a person with addictions 
can be helped. Um, I came home and I had an addiction. I worked with the Mi'kmaq community um, with an elder and I overcame it. I had tried in New Brunswick using just the Western therapeutic model and I couldn't do it. So when I came here, used sweat lodges, used pipe ceremonies, uh, used counseling with an elder, um, I overcame it. Hmm. And it's important because if that's a part of your life, and if that's a part of your culture or, and part of your heritage, then it has to come into play in healing you. Hmm. Um, Frank, uh, let's, uh, let's go back to you. You're, you're the counselor for Glenwood. And Glenwood is uh, for Ward. Glenwood Ward. And for a Jerry lesson, for those of us who aren't familiar with Glenwood, is it, it's in Central, uh, close to um, this side of, uh, just this side of Gander, I would say. Uh, yeah, it kind of starts, uh, say, halfway between Grand Falls and, and Gander. It, uh, it picks up Lewisport, and obviously Glenwood, Appleton uh, goes uh, through Gander, Benton. And actually, there's an outlier right to Swift Current. Hmm. Now, tell us... Uh, Tell us about the the job of being uh, of the uh, a, a council member on the Alibu band. It's uh, it's a it's not your day job. It's a I guess we would call it a volunteer position. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I call my day job my mortgage job. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, I guess being a, a counselor, um, I, I usually uh, say in, first when I came into it, I was very naive. Uh, 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 the previous uh, chief uh, or war counselor, because it was in a transition area, Sis Vaders was the one who uh, me and her had a, numerous conversations. And and uh, as the structure of it at the time, she couldn't run because she was a member or is a member of uh, of Mabuki. Uh So basically, we had some well conversations. And but going forward, I guess uh, you know that was the the first elected council of of Halibu. And uh, and I guess really it's, it's not that much different than uh, than being an elected uh, person in a lot of uh, uh, things with the uh, with the piece of uh, being a First Nations organization. Uh, you know, we much more member centric. Uh, you know, and I, I hear what you're, what you're saying there and things of this nature. And uh, you know, these are the types of conversations. But but I I think everybody needs to recognize that uh, that Halibu. Uh, right from the beginning, recognize that we need to have a very strong, transparent, you know, the same buzzwords, ac- accountable, transparent, uh, uh, I guess, uh, I use the word government. Uh, sometimes people look at that as a ne- negative term, but I don't, because really it kind of comes down to be, it's uh, where we're, we're expected, and I don't know, I'll find a better word, to you, but pavement and potholes is probably not a bad way because we need to uh, implement the, the, the programs and services that are And, that and Frank, expect, I guess, right? and this, you're speaking from the heart now because uh, I, you, I think it's a fact, you are a government bureaucrat. And some people that's might. That sounds some like a people, dirty word. That's it, not a dirty feel, word. It does feel, sound like a dirty word to some people. But let me ask you about this: the idea of bureaucracy, because this is the thing that is uh, one of the criticisms of the band is that it is a bureaucracy. Well, I guess and, it's, it, you know, I guess it is a criticism, and sometimes it's a it's a valid criticism because uh, you know so it, it's awful easy to get a little distant from uh, from the direct member services. That that happens is easy. But, and uh, but tell and us I, tell us the the positives. Is there a positive aspect of, uh, of well, being I, a well, bureaucracy? I guess, first and foremost, I like to use a term rather than bureaucracy if you don't mind to try and educate your uh, I don't mind teasing you a little uh, but uh, you know I'd, I'd use the word administration 
okay? It's administration of uh, uh, programs and services that, uh, that we have been uh, able to, uh, to receive through our funding partners. A lot of it is, uh, is ONEC, uh, but it's also, it could be provincial government, it could be special funding, things of this nature, where we've, uh, you know, the, some of our standard programs and things of this nature, but it is, it is the means, it's the mechanism that we both implement and be held accountable to. So that, you know, uh, if, if, if your son or daughter applies for education and my son or daughter applies for education, both gets reviewed the same, okay? If, uh, you know, if my mom or dad needs health, uh, non-insured health benefits or someone else's mom, it's the same. So it's, so it's, this, it's, a, it's, a, it's a consistent, uh, transparent, and I would go so far as to say reportable way of, uh, of doing business, and it's the only way that uh, you know we are we're still utilizing public funds to put out services, and and you know like uh, I, I keep going back to our, our uh, that you know we want to get further along in other things that our members need and ask for. Uh, and, uh, and let uh, me ask uh, let me ask you about that because I guess the challenge is to you talk about the the administrative aspect of being a band and. Um, uh, I think the the Halibu ban is quite strong in that in that department, but we're hearing from uh, and what Suzanne is telling us a certain distance between the everyday <laughs> and, and lives of people and and the and the ban. So how do you how do you bridge that? Well, well I guess the way I look at it is is that like okay, I, I'm a second term councillor. Okay, the first term uh, council, and not to disrespect the the leader at the time, uh, Chief Brendan uh, uh, Shepherd. But it was a much more internalistic perspective. Okay, the council where we are now, we're we're working as hard and as diligent as we can to be to be as open and and all these types of things. And you know, just as a and not to bring in the you know the business of the band into this conversation, because to some extent it's not needed. But like just today, I received an email from Chief reminding all the council, you know, to get your your town hall meetings in. It's a it's an expectation. Of, of the chief is an expectation of council in general. Um, you know, we're we're all expected if if to to uh, attend, to participate, to get the word out, to bring that back to council uh, as our discussion, to share the knowledge, and that's along with all the other information that gets shared. So, what I guess I'm saying is is that. First term council was probably a little more internalistic, but they were internalistic because they kind of had to. They needed to, to get the, the programs and services up and running relatively quickly. To some extent, there was fairly large uh, education programming available and that we had many, many, many members asking for, for that opportunity and we needed to be able to do so in a manner that uh, we could uh, uh, provide that to our, uh, to our funding partner. So, you know, as we grow, uh, we definitely are looking to find ways to meet the needs of, of all our members and, because and, and I wouldn't you, necessarily that say that all of our members feel that we're, that we're not providing good services. I do think that there are many do feel that way and that's the ones that we're working on. But I, I would challenge you that, that, uh, that Halibu is, uh, is, is not really providing hmm. the services that members want. Do you think one of the challenges is that the, the Halibu covers communities over a very large area? If you're in, if you're in Glenwood, for example, you're closer to Mayalbergeg in Con River than you are to 
York Harbor, where I'm from, to the to the Bay of Islands. So it's a it's a huge it's a huge area, and but that's maybe a, there's no. Well, I I guess you know yes, but no. Uh, of course, we have a connection in in central to to Malabokik First Nation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but at the same time period, the fundamentals of Halibut is, is a, is a, it, it, it was formed from nine previous Federation of Land Indian bands. So that's why the nine councillors or war councillors are there. So we bring that, uh, we bring that uh, geographic diversity to the table. So to be blunt, besides the challenges of, of making it happen, I see it as a fundamental strength, especially going forward that, uh, you know, like, and you see the concentration, you know, like in Bay St. George, you, you see you have a council from Stephenville, Port of Port, St. George's, Flat Bay. Okay, so that, that kind of reflects that there was a fair amount of those uh, in, the, in, in Cornerbrook. You have the, you know, either you had Cornerbrook Ward and you had the Ben West Cove Ward and things of this nature. Then the next concentration is Grand Falls, Ganner Bay, uh, uh, Glenwood. So from where I'm sitting, yeah, it's, it's tough, but that's kind of on the elected people like myself. And remember, too, Glenn, uh, uh, Halibut is continuously trying to, uh, 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 what do you want to call it, expand its physical presence, you know, uh, in, the, in, in just in the second term. Uh, we've uh, uh, opened an office in, uh, in Stephenville. We've opened an office in Grand Falls. That's in in uh, in addition to what we had the very traditional offices. You know, there's one I don't know how long in St. George's probably I don't know many 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 years. You know, Glenwood had a, has an, an office in, and each of these places provide services to the entire membership, not just the people that live in that area. So, like Glenwood provides, you know, that's where the healthcare navigator is based. So, if you're from York Harbor or you're from wherever, uh, you, you know, that's, you would go That's through. where they answer the phone. Yeah, so that, like that, but that's the philosophy that we subscribe mm -hmm. to. The, the missing piece from, from the first term to now is that we're trying to ensure that we respond as the members ask us to change how we're doing our business, that we respond to that. Hmm. And I think we do. And I suppose um, being a counselor, the other challenge there is you're, you're elected by the people in Glenwood. Absolutely. Yep. And if they don't like what uh, you're doing, then you won't be elected next time. As, nor should I. Uh, but when you're at the council table, you are a Halibut councillor. So how do, you, how do you balance Glenwood and the, the larger nation? Well, I guess for myself, there's a, a few little things that I do. And when I'm at the council table, uh, you know, I'm representing, you know, the elected people of Glenwood, and I, I vote uh, as I think the Glenwood people or the Glenwood war people would want me to, things of this nature. But if I'm assigned a, a committee role where I'm representing the full nation, well, I do as best I can based upon what I think the full nation uh, asks of me. So that's how I do it. But basically, the way I look at it, that everybody has their own little nuances, but pretty much everybody on council brings a very strong voice to their area that they were elected for. But they always, every one of them, every, everyone on council uh, tries to do what's best for the nation based upon their knowledge of the time. And sometimes I know for myself, I've intended to vote one way and someone speaks their heart. Someone changes mind. your mind? Absolutely. I didn't admit, did I say that out loud that time? You, you, you've admitted on air that oh, yeah, uh, well, you've changed your mind. Gerard will like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You're listening to Mi'kmaq Matters live from Grenfell Campus in Cornerbrook. Send us a comment or ask a question at facebook.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. And uh, shortly we'll, we'll uh, uh, pass the mic around um, the room here. Um, Suzanne, I want to go back to you. One, of course, one of the challenges we're dealing with is our people with cards and those without. And you, and you uh, talked about, uh, mentioned the woman who um, decided not to go to drumming because when, um, when she found out she was not uh, getting a card. Let me ask you about uh, how things worked in, in NON, in the Aboriginal Women's Network. Uh, how does it work there based on uh, who can be a member and who can be involved? Um, NON is status blind. Um, we, uh, we accept members, whether they're Indigenous or uh, non-Indigenous, we accept anyone. Um, and uh, the, um, the programming is based on whatever's good for that person at that time. So we absolutely do training and programming in, uh, in uh, topics that would be interesting to um, the whole population. We don't have any, um, any lines. And I wonder if that's um, if that's a uh, a model because we it seems that one of the challenges going forward is that um, we need to find a way to to bridge the uh, the two groups. Of course, the the Halibu Band is a band and provides services to to members, and there there's certain legalities there and certain constraints. But um, non doesn't um, doesn't have those uh, those requirements. Right, and um, and I listened to Frank, and uh, I I still felt that the issue I brought up wasn't addressed because it um, when you talk about uh, what people bring, uh, the questions they bring, the issues they bring to the table, the votes that they take, unfortunately in our population um, we can't always say, and people can't always say what's important to them. Um, but when you're looking at a healing center or an addiction center or, or at the very least addressing the crisis that's in our people, that's not something that you take a vote on or you listen to people on because the people who are most affected by that are addicted. They're in crisis. They're not able, and some are not here anymore uh, because these issues in our people are not being addressed. So I'm not sure what could be more important um, than that, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's my burning passion. So um, in terms of the band or, uh, you know, uh, um, including people that maybe should be included, that's the enrollment issue. That was, that was you know, that was marred from the beginning. It's not going to be any, uh, no matter what happens with these replies, that's not going to be fixed anytime uh, soon. So well, I heard both of, um, both of um, my colleagues here um, talk about how uh, there are many communities that are, you know, are 75% Halibu. But there are communities that are 100% Mi'kmaq. Bay St. George is 90 plus percent Mi'kmaq, not Halibu, Mi'kmaq. Hmm. And, and that's the challenge that, uh, that we face going forward. Uh, Charles, in, in, in Cornerbrook, what, what do you think is the, uh, what do you think is the, um, the situation here between people with status and people without. Um, uh, do you think uh, there's, um, 
there are resentments between um, with people who who didn't get status, and they look across the street and and see people who who do. Is it a divisive thing? Do you think in Cornerbrook? I think it exists. I, I don't know how divisive it is. I mean, it's it's no different in Cornerbrook than say Flat Bayer or Glenwood. I mean, it's it's the same everywhere, right? People have their opinions. Uh, I think in Cornerbrook we're we're fortunate. We have places like Grenfell. We have organizations like the RNC who are very open and very forward thinking, and who who you know look at Halapu and look at the Mi'kmaq as, as just another a people a group who merit and uh, you know uh, the role that they have in the community. So I think you know in in that sense we're a little more uh, I won't say more enlightened than anyone else, but at least we have some uh, organizations, some people here that uh, are more receptive, more open, I guess than and less divisive, maybe, but uh, I'm sure it exists here just as it exists anywhere else. And and, and if I can, I want to go back to what uh, Frank was saying about administration, because you're right. And uh, when you, like, I come in as a mayor, government existed since 1956 as a council, so everything's in place, everything exists. When you start to create something new, you know, from 2010 on, right, and create something that didn't exist before, there's lots of examples all across the country, but you're, and you have, you know, you have to uh, make sure that every cent is accounted for, every decision is open, transparent, and so on, and that's not an easy job, and then you also have to try to meet the demands of every member and every issue and, and so on. It's complicated, and it takes time for an organization to mature. And, you know, when you have a new organization that, you know, you say second-term counselors are just maybe just hitting their stride as, as, you know, an organization, and it takes time. And it takes time to acknowledge uh, issues that are, uh, you know, arising or have been out there for, you know, uh, maybe a year or so. It, it's not something that you can make a decision and understand and know exactly what to do for every situation right away. And, you know, as, as somebody has been in council and dealt with these issues for 15 years or, or more, you know, it's, it's not an easy job and it's not an easy process, but it takes time and you're heading in the right direction and, and it will mature over time. But, uh, you know, there's always going to be questions about, are you doing enough? Are you doing the right thing for the right group? What about us out here? What about us over there? You're going to get that no matter who, who you serve and what your constituency is. So all those things, like, like Frank was saying, it's going to take time, and you can't please everyone ever. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. So you're asking people to, uh, to cut the band some slack? And, uh, and be patient? Well, you know, if, if you want to be part of something, you have to embrace it. And, and that doesn't mean that you don't ask questions, you don't criticize. I think the ban has been very open, very transparent, much more so than many government organizations that I've dealt with. And, and you know, if you look around the world today, uh, many organizations have been, and administrations have been organized and set up to avoid answering questions and avoid, uh, you know, the, the bureaucracy that exists. There's very little bureaucracy at, uh, at the Halibut. If you, if you look at it. And my experience has been if you want to be engaged, if you want to know something, you can. And you can find out whatever you want. You can ask questions. You can be engaged. You can avail of services. So the question is, how do you go about doing that? And that become, that that's, you know, as much on us as a, as a member individually and collectively as it is on the administration and the council. And I would encourage people to, uh, Alapu members, to attend council meetings. I, I often go. And... I don't think uh, some there have been some larger meetings where there have been perhaps um, um, 50 or close to 100 people specifically on the enrollment issue. But on the other meetings, it's five, ten, 
and not that many. So I guess the opportunity is there if people want to take advantage of it's it. It's interesting because three of us just had that conversation before we went on air and saying, you know, um, there's no big issue. Nobody shows up. There's a big issue. Everyone shows up. I remember being at the high school uh, when there was an enrollment questionnaire last year. The, the whole room was full. There was a couple hundred people out. And yet, like you say, if you go to a council meeting, I've never been to one. And if you go to one, I, I don't know how many people from the, the band show up, but uh, I suggest there's not too many. I'm scanning the room to ask if, uh, to see if anyone wants to ask uh, a question. Um, and uh, you can all also ask a question uh, by going to the uh, on air, um, on our Facebook page. Um, Charles, I want to ask you about your about the uh, your involvement with the Alibu Cultural Foundation, and you uh, remarked that you weren't there for the gross morning experience. Um, but in light of what Suzanne uh, talked about uh, in terms of um, of people uh, wanting access to culture, whether they're status, people of status or not, and, and this divide we have between people, what do you see as the role for your, your, uh, your alma mater uh, uh, cultural foundation going forward? And, and, what, and what do you think we can learn from the Gross Morning experience this past year? Well, first of all, I guess when I was asked by the former chief to take on the chair role, uh, you know, from my point of view at the time, the discussion we had was to establish the cultural foundation because it didn't exist. And so that was the creation of the bylaws, it was the creation of the, the actual organization itself and working then with staff to start ver at the very end of it, start doing uh, like your, your Harvest Festival and things like that and, and your outreach and things that would come over uh, under the cultural foundation eventually. So after, you know, after I was mayor for a year or so, I said, okay, I, I just have too much to do and would turn it over to somebody else. And up until that point, we really hadn't, I don't think, developed what is the cultural aspect. So for me, it was really about the establishment of this organization. How are we going to fund it? What were some of the activities we'd undertake? And, you know, the initial fundraiser was the first one, right? The Harvest uh, Celebration. And, and you know, I think they've had three now uh, to date. Um, and, and I don't think it was clear as well to the uh, Halapu people what the Culture Foundation was. So that was another issue because I don't think we around the table were totally clear about what it was. And, and I think somebody mentioned earlier, you know, I think Suzanne said, you know, is, is it my way of doing it or is it your way of doing it? Who's right, who's not right, and so on. So there was a lot of discussion around, you know, what is the right approach, what is the right, uh, you know, practice, uh, who do we listen to, and, and who, who makes those decisions. And when I, when I was done as chair, you know, those, those questions were still on the table. So, you know, I, I think the idea of moving forward and, and trying to, how do you engage everyone? And it's, it's, it's like everything else. You don't know it's an issue until you make a decision and then somebody says, well, I don't agree with that. And oftentimes that's what happens because if you're not engaged in the process, if you're not following along, and then you know word gets out that you're doing something and somebody doesn't agree with it, and then that becomes a major issue, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's something that people try to do uh, with all the best intentions in the world backfired. Mm. And that's going to happen. It's a young organization. It's a new organization. Uh, people are not, you know, in, in, at least in the cultural um, foundation, maybe not totally in tune with what is exactly the role of what, you know, what they're doing. Um, where do we get our teachings? You know, wh who are we learning from? What is, you know, a 
authentic? We even had that discussion. You know, what is authentic Halapu culture? So there's going to be a lot of questions. And you know what? As 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 many as people as there are, there's that many opinions. And people take these things very passionately. It's uh, it's it's all about culture. So quite appropriately, people would be concerned about these cultural issues because that, at the end of the day. That's why we do what we do, and um, it's um, it's it's pretty fundamental to to uh, to the experience, and and as they should be, right? Yes, um, everyone has their opinion. Uh, it's innate to mm -hmm. for a lot of people about what their culture is, and uh, for somebody else to make decisions that you don't agree with, well, then you're going to speak out, and uh, you know whether it was too fa too much too soon, uh, I don't know, but. Uh, at the end of the day, it was canceled, and uh, a lot of people look at that and say, well, was that the right thing to do? So again, everyone has their opinion. Some people up the coast who I talked to were, were disappointed about uh, the cancellation, so it was a, it was a, very, it was a very complex uh, uh, experience, I think an experience that, that we should try and learn from uh, as, we, as we go forward. Um, Frank, let me, uh, let me ask you about uh, the challenge going forward of the of the Halibu as a band dealing with this phenomenon of the the non um, people without status. Do you think there's going to be an expectation that the Halibu as a band respond, do things for, include somehow people who don't have status cards and therefore legally aren't your responsibility, but do you think there's going to be that, that expectation? Well, I guess uh, right now, like I would think, to answer your question, I think it's anybody. Um, of course, there will be an expectation, but uh, from the point of view of uh, you know, uh, Halibut is a, is a First Nation band, so uh, a lot of time, energy goes into the implementation implementation of programs that are for uh, status uh, people in in the country. Uh, so obviously, that's uh, that's a big part of what we would would be doing. Um, how it's going to transpire uh, with respect to people that say have it applied and didn't weren't successful or didn't apply and self-identify now, I think that that's a discussion that uh, that is really going to be emerging going forward. Uh, and uh, and you know the way I would look at it is I, I think uh, I don't know where the phrase got coined, but the first place I heard uh, uh, Suzanne said their name was status blind. You know, really at this point in time. Besides, say, uh, attendance at uh, meetings in the sense of uh, AGAs or council meetings, um, I don't see anybody asking for your status card. And that's, you know, so, right? Well, I have to disagree. Well, that's in, in my experience, I have right? to disagree. Uh, you're not welcome at Hollywood meetings unless you well, have... Well, well, that's what I said. Council yeah. meetings, you have to show your, your, yeah. your card. But what I'm saying is if we have a, uh, you know, my experience, if we have a... Uh, we support a, a cultural event or or events funded uh, through application process through the through the cultural foundation. Um, there's no ask of are you a status member or are you not, and I would foresee that. Uh, you know, to be fair, the the, the question that may come down to be is uh, what can Halibut afford, uh, and uh, and we need to recognize uh, that that may become an issue going forward. But at this point in time, like you know, I've uh, I've helped a number of groups apply for funding for this and that, and uh, through the band, and you know, whether it's Aboriginal Day or whether it's a cultural event, there's no. But you are right that the, the attendance at a council meeting or attendance at a uh, at an AGA, you need to uh, uh, 
show your, your status card. So, so you were saying, Frank, that a lot of the events that happen at the Halibut building over there in the community room are open to everyone and you don't have to well, show a card to go to... Well, I, all I guess I would say is like... Uh, uh, I know, like, say, Paul Pike, as an example, I think had a beading program. I don't think you needed to be a, a member for that, just as a, and I know that because my daughter was going to go, and a, and a friend of hers who was non-Indigenous were going to go just because, well, they're friends and they like doing things together. There was no issue. Um, so, and I would expect that that will be the, the, the trend going forward. Uh, the same thing is happening. There's a project being developed by a couple of interested, two friends in Glenwood. Uh, actually, one is uh, indigenous from outside of the area, but not a status member. You know, not a status, and it doesn't matter. Like that's not the purpose. Of it. The purpose of, is to is to support uh, the cultural uh, development. So. Well, like I, I understand when you said about uh, about some people, um, you're helping some people to get some funding and whatever. Um, but I can say that um, as a, um, I'm I'm not a status member. Um, but when you look for some money, I can absolutely tell you as president of NON that we got $25 uh, to, help out with, um, to help out with some programming we were doing. So it's, you know what, in my own opinion, um, there are 10,000 status members, maybe 10, 12,000. As as Halibut, you mean? Yeah, as uh, Halibut. Well, right now the number would be closer to twenty three. I think it is uh, twenty three thousand. So twenty three thousand, and when you look at uh, all the applications that were there, those people, the hundred and seventy two minus twenty three thousand, Halibut is not going to do anything for them. These are the people that are in need. These are the people um, because in twenty three thousand. When you look at the amount of addictions, when you look at the amount of um, needs that they have, and then you look at like 150,000 and the amount of addictions and the amount of needs there, somebody's got to come forward to address that, whether it's Halibut, because we're talking about all First Nation people, all Mi'kmaq people, um, whether it's Halibut that'll address that or... Well, I guess, you know, we're, we're all postulating in the crystal ball of what may or may not happen. But at the end of the day, what I can speak to is my experience with Halibut is that um, where, where, where we can, it's, I like the term status blind. I heard it out of somewhere in Basin, George, and I, you, I don't know if it's a, but I, I like that term because, at the, you know, that's, it's a, it, people can relate to it. Uh, but of course, say if Halibut is implementing a, uh, a non-insured health benefits program, we only it, we don't get funding to if you're not a status Indian. Uh, do we are we having conversations with the federal government to find a, a better model? Absolutely. Uh, but at this point in time, uh, you know we we're expected and uh, and I think the as holders of the of the public purse, we we would need to, mm -hmm. uh, you know and. You know, I think that uh, unfortunately, many of us uh, have experienced, you know, mental health and addictions in many of our families and many of our communities, uh, and things of this nature. And you know, basically, uh, I guess most of us are knocking on the door saying there has to be a better way. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, as a as a second term counselor of of Halibut, I think Halibut would want to be at that table, and as a as a, a vigorous partner in any potential solution. Uh, we're That's just, the best uh, I can say. We're just uh, coming towards the end. Uh, Frank, um, you're running again uh, in the next election a year from now? 
I would say that I'll be in the political establishment of Halbo till I die. How about that? <laughs> I see. Uh, do, you, uh, are, do you have a candidate running against you uh, in the next October yet? At this point in time, no, but that's when he makes it fun. Yes. And Charles, uh, I note that you're now without a political engagement. What are, what are your, maybe you have an interest in running. Uh, do you have uh, political aspirations in, in an Alibu context? Who knows? Uh, not really. I, I haven't really given it much thought. Folks, you know, he didn't deny it. He, there was no, there was no no there. That was, that was, that was, that was a maybe. I heard a definite maybe there from I'm Charles Pender. Nod. Is he running in the next election? I heard a definite maybe. He's that. asking my wife, who's yeah, standing over there. Um, uh-huh. You know what? Uh, like I say, I haven't, I haven't really given it any thought until you asked the question. Uh, you know, uh, again, who knows? It's uh, certainly not my intention right now. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, well, uh, it's been a great discussion. Thank you, panelists, for uh, for being vulnerable and uh, dealing with the uh, the unexpected and uh, sharing your your thoughts. Um, Frank, uh, what's if what is what is your vision of a, of a of a Halibut band uh, ten years from now? Uh, what what do you want to see? Well, I guess the way I would I would like to see is that uh, is that uh, we become that much more member centric. Hmm. So whatever we need to do to become that more member centric. Well, and we'll we'll leave uh, we'll leave it on that positive note, and uh, perhaps we'll reconvene at some at some months in the in the future, and and uh, and get a uh, progress report. So let me thank our panelists, Frank Skeard, Suzanne Barry, Charles Pender. Uh, thank you to our audience here. Uh, thank you to Cody Gardner and B O I R, without whom uh, we couldn't have uh, done this. Thanks to Grenfell for hosting us. Thanks to Rogers and Voice of Bombay. Uh, Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.